So listeners, welcome back to season two of VCs Off the Record. Joining me today are two amazing people, and they're so amazing that I decided we needed them both on at the same time. With us today is Natalie Nixon, president of Figure Eight Thinking, and Perry Higgins, president of Evolve Advisors. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Why don't we start with a little bit of your background, and then we want to know how you two met. Sure. Well, I have an, this is Natalie. I have an incredibly loopy background. I have a background in anthropology and fashion. I always say that my background in anthropology as a qualitative researcher really equipped me with one of the worms I view of society. And then fashion, which is neither um, glamorous or frivolous, even though that's what people often never worked in the industry, really gave me a deep appreciation for the role of beauty desire, aesthetics, as well as technology and logistics in developing uh, consumer insight. And before I, I let Perry share more about her amazing background, we, we met over 30 years ago, about 30 years ago. So it's been a minute. And we had a, a, a friend in common and um, have just stayed in touch over the years. And we love to collaborate. That's wonderful. And I love the longevity of your, re- let's call it a relationship and a friendship. Yes. Love that. Absolutely. Perry, you have done so many amazing things in your career. Can you please share with our audience a little bit of that? Yes, of course. So um, I also have a pretty varied background um, by my standards, not not by Natalie's because she has had such great experiences in her career. But um, I um, think of my background and think of the similar threads that run through it, which um, are a focus on strategy and a focus on finance. So I started my career out of college in investment banking. After business school, I worked um, in venture capital, investing in startups. Um, Then I raised $10 million to invest in real estate. Then I um, moved from there into consulting, where I've been working for about 10 years now, uh, focused on advising corporations related to project management project planning, and business process optimization. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Those are, uh, well, I love her, uh, Natalie's term, loopy background. What's, Absolutely. I love that. What's something loopy and juicy that's not ever going to be on your bio, but would be fun to know? I don't know. Like I, I've been over five different countries. So I've lived in Brazil, Germany, Portugal, and Sri Lanka. And I think maybe with the, the thread there that wouldn't be in my resume, I have a background in dance. I studied dance since I was four years old. And in every country where I've lived and worked, um, I've managed to uh, pick up the either kind of indigenous form of dance or made sure that I studied dance in some way. So um, throughout all that loopiness, dance is definitely um, a pull through. And I, and I still dance to this day. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. I would not have known that if you hadn't told us. Thank you. (laughs) Perry, what are you doing when you're not being fabulous in finance? Um, Well, I guess something that's interesting for me that I have not made as of yet is I have interest in cannabis companies and in the management of those companies. So with a small group, we've applied for licenses in a number of different areas. Um, We are opening um, our first of three records in Massachusetts. And then on Saturday, I'm going to St. Vincent because we want a license to grow and process and export medical marijuana and the grenadines. 
fascinating. What do you think has been your superpower? I've actually given a talk about this. This is Natalie. And, um, you know, when I, as a black woman, when I was in my twenties, I, I, you know, hands on the hips, et cetera, that, that often we go through in our in awesome decade called the twenties. Um, I'm saying that very sarcastically, probably the hardest decade because we have so many great ideas, really don't know how to leverage them or scale them. But, um, I, in my twenties, I, I had just gotten to a point where I've just really, frustrated of always being the only one in the room, one of a few. And I got into my thirties and I realized um, that because when I walk into the room, um, I am typically the only one or one of a few, I have had to develop incredible emotional intelligence. I'm very politically savvy because I must read within the first 60 seconds, the power dynamics. I develop deep observational skills, um, sometimes because of the unspoken assumptions about my value in the room. And I have really heightened curiosity. And so what I am very clear about is that my superpower is that I'm a boundary spanner. And I really invite a lot of other people who, whatever your marginalization is, your perceived marginalization, that view from the margins my experience has been what I converted into an act. It makes me um, approach problems and challenges from a very different perspective. I raise very different sorts of questions. Um, I've had to build my career in a much more dynamic way because of, again, you know, some of the assumptions that that may or may may have been made. And um, so, by my third, by mid, by my mid thirties, especially, I really embrace it. And I think one of the things that helped me make that shift, that paradigm shift in my mindset about it, was that I had been living in, in Sri Lanka. I was doing a lot of work in Asia, um, sourcing bras and panties for Victoria's Secret. I was working for a division of the limited brands, and I was in so many meetings with really powerful women from Asia who what I loved about the way they brokered deals, primarily with Westerners, a lot of the time with, with white Western men, sometimes with white Western women, was I observed how, how astute they were at converting their perceived to a, into strengths. Um, they re- were fully rooted in, in their ethnicity as a Sri Lankan woman, a woman from Hong Kong, and of that, and that really gave me the confidence to interpret that in my own identity. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think there is a lot in that superpower that many of us um, utilize on a day-to-day basis, but probably don't have the words or the description for it. So thank you for that, Perry. You, yes. you, you've had the benefit of uh, <laughs> being able to think of your answer while yes, yes. you spoke. But what's your superpower? So I think my superpower, as um, I also believe superpowers, is not giving up. And for me, there was a defining moment that happened when I was a senior in high school. And I'm sure many people have the same story, but um, there was a meeting. My parents came into school. I sat down with them and the college advisor, and I provided the college advisor with a list of schools that I wanted to apply to. And as I sat there with my parents, and I was... I. It was a very teeny school, but I was the top student in that teeny school. 
um, the advisor said, you're reaching for the stars and you need to adjust this list, essentially start over because none of these schools are achievable. And that for me, I mean, I'm at my age now, I'm still talking about it. I know the name of that individual who told me that. And that has been something that has driven me. When everyone ever tells me, no, you can't do something, I just dig my heels in and, and I work towards it. And as a black woman, as a black person in America, we hear this all the time. And we have to hold firm and believe that we can do anything that we set our minds to. And that we can't allow anyone, and they tell my kids this all the time, we can't allow anyone to play, place limits on what we have the ability to achieve. I said that to someone the other day about like not letting someone else dim your light. And they just broke down into tears. And I started crying too, because I knew exactly what that felt like. Um, yes. So I, I think that's so powerful. Like you said, it was in high school, but it's still, it, you're still carrying it with you. Um, thanks for sharing that. What are you two working on? How is it that you guys are working together? You're working with Living City. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Can I start, Perry? Sure. So, um, Natalie has had a relationship with Living Cities for, um, a, a while and they approached her and said, you know, we've got this project that we're thinking about. We're wondering if this is something that you can spearhead for us. And it was performing a landscape analysis to determine um, or find out more information about how to analyze the um, racial wealth gap and how to find solutions to minimize that, um, that gap. So they wanted to focus on Black founders and Black fund managers. And Natalie, knowing that I have been a serial entrepreneur and also have in um, venture capital uh, for some period of time, approached me and asked if I wanted to collaborate. And I immediately said, yes. I mean, this is the type of work that I do not do on a normal basis. I mean, our report is 80 pages and it's it's beautiful. It has such rich content. And I'm really thankful to Natalie for allowing me to collaborate with her on this and to kind of learn a different way of thinking because we are polar opposites in the way that we approach um, challenges, the way that we approach writing, pretty much everything. So I learned not only so much about the content and our our historical context in place for this writing, but um, also about different ways of thinking. It's wonderful. What are one or two key findings that came out of this work? Frank, I just wanted to just build on, on Perry's point. One, the, the, the value added tactics that I use in Enmity Strategist is I, I find deep value in knowing my lane, knowing what my strengths are, and then surrounding myself with people who complement that. And so I really love the way that ways that Perry and I are kind of the yin to each other's yang. And not to oversimplify things a bit, but I'm a bit more qualitatively oriented and, and Perry's a bit more quantitatively oriented. And for a project like this, it was hugely important. So just to take a step back, the, the big and terrifying Living cities came across that that really was the catalyst for this work was that an incredible called um, the road to zero wealth is a, a different research report um, pointed out that if all things remain the same the average black American household will have a net worth of zero by 2053 and so their question to us was 
what role might philanthropy play in that? So in the work that I did together, we pour scenarios because as, as, as I incorporate a lot of foresight into my work. So scenario planning is, is very optimal rather than focusing on a singular solution, you're more likely to uh, hit it out the park if you identify in an adaptive way multiple possible future scenarios, the outcomes, and, and I'll ask Perry to speak to some others, but we, 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 if you read the report, which is available on the livingcities.org website, it's called Collaboration for Black Wealth Creation, um, we proposed experiments and scenarios that the public se private uh, private sector public sector and philanthropy and policymakers could collaborate on to address a systemic issue right the reason why the atrocious data point from prosperity now the reason why there is such a horrible uh, wealth gap and racial wealth gap in the united states did not happen over the past 10 years it's happened over four centuries and there's re reasons rooted in, in racism um, rooted in uh, slavery, which I consider a form of terrorism, our own home brand of terrorism, uh, Jim Crow, the Nadir after Reconstruction. Um, uh, oh, listen, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of roots. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of roots so, to the origin of the problem. Exactly. So one of the things we offered up is a, a systemized which to address the, the challenges on a functional, social, and emotional level. One of the, the ideas we had is something called a fund of funds, which is an opportunity to have like a centralized effort to um, aggregate funding for that, that, that would really help black fund managers to, to leverage um, opportunities that they consistently, no matter how well educated they are, no matter if they started the same point because of social barriers to entry, because of the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, the, the lack of having um, friends and family money, et cetera, to call upon, they're just limited um, in developing. Perry, do you want to, do you want to talk more about fund of funds or uh, the, the venture vet idea? Actually, the other um, example of one of the solutions that we propose is something that we call the black wealth amplifier. So historically, um, black Americans have had limited opportunities to garner wealth through private equity investment. So this is um, an idea that's based on um, the portfolio model that's targeted at women, but to a, a model that would allow black accredited investors to come together, um, make smaller um, but more diversified investments in a high velocity fund type. Um, and these, this high-velocity micro-investment, of course, would enable the um, Black accredited investors to uh, garner returns, but at the same point in time, the funds could, could go to um, invest in other businesses that would provide good returns. It could be businesses that are run by Black founders or investments in Black fund managers, but, you know, essentially, it... Um, creates a win-win situation in, in many respects. So there are a couple of ideas that we put forward that are included in the report that um, anyone can try to move forward with. I mean, the, the wonderful thing I thought about Living Cities is that they made this report available. They encourage anyone to take the ideas that are included in the report, 
expand on them, partner with others. Um, what we found also in our work is that um, like the nonprofit world, everything is so segmented. And if people were just to come together to work on interests that they share, bring resources together as opposed to competing for dollars, that much a much larger impact could be made. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. Um, and so it sounds like the two big things that came out of this were one, a fund of fund, meaning there's this platform by which lots of funds are on there. And so there's different sort of doors by which investment dollars can come and then go out into the market. And then the other is convening and pooling new investors into these spaces to directly invest in be it funds or in companies themselves or other financial markets. Exactly. And, and what brings Correct. it all together is the fact that we know that for Black founders and Black fund managers, the seed capital, raising the money to launch your first fund or launch your first business is exceedingly difficult to, to access. It takes um, Black founders and fund managers so much longer than their white counterparts to get businesses off the ground. So even though they they the data shows they outperform consistently the the get, getting the traction to get off the ground is a lot longer yeah exactly yeah, so what we listen, were proposing you're, li you're living cities we're living proof yeah. <laughs> as, a <fund laughs> manager, as a fund manager of that uh, tell me this report comes out and we're going to make sure that our listeners are able to access it we'll make sure it's on the website but tell me this report comes out there's fanfare, there's publicity. Who picks up the mantle and starts to do the work? So that's a really interesting question. A lot of the 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 aftermath of, of doing that work and having the report available, um, and this was pre-George Floyd and and you know, for the rest of the world to see the the curtain pull back of the United States of America, you know, realities that black people in America are well aware of, but now there's a heightened interest in DEI and, and um, paying more attention to uh, greater access for black, black founders, black fund managers, but a lot to get a lot more invitations to share the data uh, and a lot of social impact investment conferences and summits and that sort of thing. And where we are right now is um, we think it's very clear that the data shows the caliber of expertise black fund managers the wealth of intellectual capital that of ideas that are coming from black founders and black entrepreneurs the shift in our view that really has to start happening is we're now much more interested instead of kind of i, I want to be so callous and say a dog and pony show of look at all these great black investors and black fund managers but we're much more interested now in understanding from the white uh, majority investors, what for them is the tipping point for them to realize that this is just intelligent business, right? When I was a college student of anthropology, and I used to wonder why don't anthropologists ever study white middle-class families? They are a cultural unit. They they have an rituals and language and etc. Right? The, the gaze was all the other. Right? The other was always brown folks. And so similarly, I think we're at this interesting tipping point right now, where 
you know, I, I, I have been saying for a long time that racism is not people's problem. It really isn't. It, and I just, I, I'm sorry, I'm, missing, I'm forgetting her name. I think she, she wrote a book called Home Going and she just came out with another novel. I'm, I'm, I don't remember yesterday on, on Fresh Air. She said in answer to a question that Terry Gross asked her, she said, you know, racism actually is not Black people's problem. It's, it's, it's white people's problem. And so similarly, I think it's really, I think a lot of the work for us to do is, is to um, kind of shift the conversation that more um, white Americans do a lot more self-reflection on why they are making certain investment choices when it when it actually means the I mean the other data point is 2023 when America when the United States of America is predicted to be minority majority that's that's a huge market opportunity right so those are the, the sorts of shifts in conversation that we're hoping to galvanize and facilitate at this stage with this sort of research. We, as we're onboarding investors and they run the gamut, um, we're asking that question too. Like, what was it that was the point at which you said, I'm going to invest in the Walkstar Fund? Um, or what was it that said this wasn't the fund for you? Um, so we're very much interested in that, too. It'll be fascinating as we start to catalog that as well, because it, it's it's fascinating, right? When you think about people's knowledge of what's a good investment, and yet when you tell them about another good investment, they still decide not to, right? And so kind of like, what else is going on? What isms are at play here? I just think that there, that we might get more insight about that if we look historically at started to shift in the sustainability, environmental sustainability uh, gains of investment in, in, in ESG. Like maybe there are similar tipping points there that could be, you know, extrapolated over to uh, Black founders and Black fund managers, perhaps. I, th I think that, yeah, I think there's something in that for sure. Hey, Perry, what's conversation like for you these days, right? Like you're in front of clients and and advising. And so I'm sure people are asking you how they should be thinking about things in these times. Um, so what does that conversation look like for you? Just going back to a point that Natalie made, what we've been working on. So we've had a, a few um, discussions with potential clients who are large investment management firms, who have clients who have said, what can you do for us in this area? We're thinking that we may wanna start investing in black fund managers or black founders. How should we think about this? How do we go about this? And in our conversations, what we try to ensure as we're, we're, we're literally working to try to win this business so we can not only help a client, a potential client, but then also advance a cause, advance um, and have an impact. But in our conversations, we try to ensure that um, one understands that there is benefit for everyone. This is not charity. These are investments that should be made to have a good return and that it creates a larger pie for more people to share. So those are the types of conversations we're, we're having. And in addition, I think something that's really important that sometimes um, larger funds that are run by um, you know, white men you don't understand is that you can't, you can't just decide you wanna do it and go do it, right? Because they don't have access. There, there are networks that they cannot just go and tap into. So they, 
they need someone like Natalie or, or people like Natalie and me in order to help facilitate that for them. And I think that that's something that oftentimes people don't realize and that could hurt us. You know, if, um, you know, a, a person decides that they want to start a fund and they don't have that network and then they make investments that aren't strong investments and it was, you know, a fund that was focused on black founders, it doesn't do well, then that could end up detrimental to everyone else at the end of the day. Yeah, we call that the kind of creepy guy factor. <laughs> um, no, but it's true, right? Like when we, we talk to people, we say, listen, we are in places that for you to show up would look really creepy, right? Like we go to meetups and hackathons on a rainy Friday in Bed-Stuy or the Bronx or Lower East Side. And so for that well-intentioned ally from Greenwich, Connecticut to show up, right? At, you know, 8.30 for a hackathon with 30 diverse women, that would be creepy, right? But that's Right. That's a place we can be. And guess what? We're seeing great founders and companies coming out of those spaces. And so it's like you kind of need us if you're if what you say is you want exposure and access and to put money into really cool things um, like diversity, like women of color. Um, you know, it, it's not something you can, to your point, walk into and do tomorrow. So they need us. Exactly. They need us. Um, Perry, in in terms of opportunity, when you raised that $10 million for real estate, what do you think made you successful in doing that? Like you saw opportunities in real estate. What closed the deal for you with those investors to write that check? So, you know, what's interesting is when we did the Living Cities work, there were so many things that I just didn't know. I didn't have a gratiation for our historical context. Um, I didn't have a, a great understanding of what it was like for other Black fund managers to go through that experience. So I actually raised two funds. And the first fund I raised with um, a Jewish man who was significantly older than I was, who had a track record. So I paired myself with him, used that track record to raise the capital and to invest the funds. And then the second to go around, I had that background and that performance then to take in raising a second fund. And we hear that, that story for so many different um, black founders that they didn't, they weren't able just to start off on their own, raise that friends and family round and, and move forward that way. But instead they had to align themselves, even Robert Smith. I mean, the, the story is that he, you know, in his, his first go round, he had the support of a white man. And it's unfortunate that that's sort of the, the way that a lot of people enter the space, or if they decide that they're not going to enter the space that way, it takes them twice as long. But um, at this point, it's the reality. And what we also um, talk about, Natalie and I talk about when we are discussing this, um, this problem, this challenge, is we have to create new methods and ways of, of approaching this for Black founders and Black entrepreneurs. Black founders and Black fund managers, the old boy network, the, you know, raising the first fund, getting the performance, then raising another fund and, and going down that route doesn't work for us in its structure. So we have to create a new method, a new method that gets us to the same place at the end of the day, not twice as long, but on the same time horizon. I think that's right. And, you know, Listen, someone could sort of step away and be like, oh, God, that's so depressing, right? Like that we need to have, uh, you know, someone not like us. But I actually will flip that and say that 
there's power in partnerships. And so for whether it be women VCs, women investors, or women entrepreneurs, there's power in partnership. And so to do any of this solo, right, um, I think the it just makes the risk higher. And so a smart person tries to lower risk, right, and help and hope that the outcomes are better. And so um, having more smart people around you, um, getting more information to have inform to make informed decisions is a powerful thing. And that's what partnerships can do for you. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Natalie, were you going to say something? You got any advice, any tips, hacks? I think you might have a good book for people. I do. I I have an amazing book. It's called The Creativity Leap Unleashed Curiosity and Intuition at Work. And the basic premise of my book is that now in this fourth industrial revolution where technology is ubiquitous and extending into the future of work, what will be our competitive advantage is what makes us uniquely human, which is creativity. These are what are called wicked challenges. That's a kind of assistance design term that we're going through. And the only way we're going to really get through this triple pandemic of COVID-19 systemic and unsustainability of the earth is through creativity because creativity is a complex system. It's what I call the chewing gum method. The best way to remove chewing gum when you step into it or it's on your skin is with other chewing gum. So the complexity is with complexity. But I, I wanted I wanted kind of three tips that are aligned with, with my perspective, perspective of how valuable activity is. Number one, I would, I would say to um, especially your listeners who are people of color, especially um, Black people, to please remember the part of our legacy of being that we have an incredible legacy of entrepreneurship. And we've had that in, in part because of segregation. We would be incredibly entrepreneurial because we were left out of so many mainstream opportunities. So take heart in that legacy. The second uh, piece of advice I, I, I would really want to hone in on is in all these conversations where DEI has become super popular, um, let's, let's, you know, diversity and inclusion should be a given. Let's really hone in on the equity. I've heard someone say that diversity is about being invited to the party. Inclusion is about being asked to dance. But equity is about getting to decide what the playlist is. And we need to be really be about the business right of being part of equity. And the, and the third, the third tip, which is you know kind of dials back to my new book, The Creativity Leap, is that um, really embrace your innate curiosity. You will never be out of business if you follow if you're if you have the ability to follow people's problems. You know, I was I was a professor sixteen years and. While I taught in a business school, I had a real bias towards the liberal arts because it's it's that lens and that perspective. If you study history or physics or or anthropology, like I did, you have a point of view which then enables to start a business. And Black people in America are part of a global majority where there are so many problems slash opportunities that we can really leverage into incredible business opportunities. So if you develop this, the, the, the skill and the capacity for insatiable curiosity, that really is your golden, a successful entrepreneur, the ability to see 
the interstices, the negative spaces, what artists call it, and to flip into a really cool opportunity. That's that's the 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 core of being a successful entrepreneur, in my opinion. Wow. Um, all good advice. And the book I encourage everyone to get, The Creativity Leap. Um, we will make sure that we have that on our website as well, as well as more information about the two of you and your sites and your contact information. But tell me this, what what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? Because I think to get out of sort of that dog and pony show and get to being about the work, we need to make sure we're accessible to others. So what's the best way to stay in touch with you or not to stay in touch with you? If you have a pet peeve, <laughs> how people reach out to you. Well, first of all, Gayla, thank you very much for sharing your platform. Thank you for promoting my new book, The Creativity Leap. Uh, to stay in touch with Billy Nixon, just go to figure eight thing that's like figure eight and ice skating, but it's the number eight. Don't spell it out. So it's F-I-G-U-R-E eight thinking.com. You can even download a free sample chapter of the book. And I, I share tons of content on my YouTube channel as well. So I look forward to hearing from folks. Thank you. That's awesome. Perry. How are we going to stay in touch, girl? So um, my um, email address is phiggins at evolveadvisors.com. And then just one more plug for Natalie. We talked earlier about how I think so much differently from her. I think anyone who decides to pick up their her book and learn about how they can be more creative in everything that they do and how they can use that to their advantage should definitely do so because it gives you an, a new way of thinking um, even if you believe that you're extremely creative to begin with. Well, Thank you, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. All right, ladies, now you don't get to get out of here without um, participating in our pop quiz challenge. Uh-oh. Yes. Who's your favorite Kardashian? Kim. Kim. Law and Order or CSI? Law and Order. CSI. Love and Hip Hop. Basketball Wives or Real Housewives? Real Housewives. <laughs> Real Housewives. I'm really into Real Housewives of Potomac of late. <laughs> Yay. Oh, my God. We're going to have a viewing party. That's what we should do. I love it. Okay. <laughs> what did you say, Perry? I didn't hear you. I said Real Housewives also. She said it too. Okay. We're going to have a viewing party. I love it. Okay. Michelle or Barack? Michelle. I think Michelle. Ooh, Natalie, you hesitated for a minute. I, I know. <laughs> I just I just love how she is just expanding her platform, um, the podcast, and yeah. Yeah. I, I love her growth. Serena or Venus? Serena. Serena. J-Lo or Beyonce? Beyonce. Beyonce. Ooh, I heard a little gasp there for a minute. All right. Last one. Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson? Michael Jordan. Magic Johnson. Oh, I see a little divergence there. You guys did good. You guys are hip. <laughs> you guys are hip. This has been so fun. Um, I would like to keep the conversation going. And I am committing here and now to be part of whatever comes out of the report and how we can convene and continue this conversation to really activate those recommendations because I think 
Fund of Fund, I think being able to convene people of color to invest. I love that the SEC has broadened the definition of accredited investor. Um, and I think this is a moment in time where we need to st step into that space to your point about, you know, negative space or open spaces. Yes. Thank you so much. We, we love that idea and look forward to continued growth with you and collaboration. And, and it's been a real pleasure having this conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you both. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us on VCs Off the Record with Natalie Nixon, author of The Creativity Leap, and Perry Higgins, president of Evolve Advisors. These two walk stars recently co-authored the Living Cities Report, which you can find at livingcities.org. This is an amazing resource. Great insights for both entrepreneurs and investors looking to make a change with today's market. We highly recommend you check it out, as well as Natalie's book, The Creativity Leap. We'll have links to this as well as the other reports and wonderful tips and resources they mentioned on our website, walkstar.com. So give us a visit. We can't wait to see you guys next time. Until then, stay fabulous.